We are downtown. We are historic. We are family. We are scriptural. We are First Baptist Church. Amen. If you would, you can find in your listening sheet Mark 1, 36 through 39. That's a portion of our reverse text this week that we will read aloud together. This then is the text for today. Simon and his companions searched for him. They found him and said to him, everyone is looking for you. He said to them, let us go somewhere else to the towns nearby so that I may preach there also, for that is what I came for. And he went into their synagogues throughout all Galilee, preaching and casting out demons. May God bless the reading of his word. You know, when I was studying this week, I really wanted to lay into the disciples. I wanted to let the disciples have it, to point out all that they're doing wrong here, to speculate on their heart and their mindset. I really wanted to talk about how they were falling into temptation here, maybe even falling into the temptation of pride. The crowds are swelling to such a degree around Jesus, it would be so easy for them to get a large head. They're the ones that are walking with the man who is making this happen. In fact, as I read what we just read in 36 and 37, that's what I hear. When they're searching for Jesus, they're not searching for Jesus like they're a lost sheep looking for their shepherd. They're out chasing clues like a shrewd manager not wanting their client to miss out on another photo shoot. See, do you remember when Garth Brooks would do nine shows in a city because people just kept buying tickets? This is the sort of planning I imagine the disciples are doing here. How many shows can we have out in front of us? How many times can, can we make this crowd grow exponentially? And see, the disciples would just soak it all in backstage with their very own VIP passes. Now, I, I don't know, maybe, maybe I'm just imagining that because that's what I would do. And ultimately, that's why I didn't want to cut the disciples down too much because I would have been right there with them. That would have been my heart. You'd have to wonder, though, about that line, everyone is looking for you. This sure sounds like, when they come to Jesus and they say, everyone is looking for you, this sure sounds like they are giving Jesus advice. Everyone is looking for you is easily read. Like, Jesus, what are you doing here? You should be over there. All of the people are clamoring over there. Why are you here and not over there? As if they're accusing Jesus of being in the wrong place. And Jesus, if you want my advice, my advice would be to get up and go over there where those other people are. You know, I kind of read this like another pericope of Peter's past in Matthew 16, when Peter tells Jesus to stop talking about his death. You remember that story where, where Peter and Jesus are talking, and it, and it says first that Peter rebukes Jesus, because Jesus is telling them that he's going to have to walk to the crucifixion, and Peter rebukes him and pushes back and says, Jesus, no way this can happen. There's more seats we can sell. There's more crowds that are gathering. We can do more with you alive. And as it goes, Jesus rebukes him and says, get behind me, Satan. 
See, Peter rebukes Jesus because Jesus was talking about doing something that Peter couldn't stomach, that was beyond his grasp, that was beyond his plans for the Christ, but Jesus kept on. And Peter would offer his advice just like we do. And so when we get to verse 38, then when Jesus responds to Peter and the other disciples there, it's a correction. And Jesus is reminding the disciples that this journey they have just begun is going to be unlike anything they have ever imagined for their lives. The disciples were going to get backstage VIP passes to a crucifixion, not a concert. And Jesus redirects their energies towards preaching the gospel, and they move on as the kingdom of God is coming. And this is what you see Jesus doing here. Jesus redirects his servants. He redirects his children to the truth and hope of the gospel. Always, everywhere. It always comes back to the truth and the heart of the gospel. And anytime we move away from that, Jesus is redirecting. And sometimes when we don't listen, that redirect turns into a rebuke. And then when we don't listen to the rebuke, the, the, the anger of God begins to swell and, and we begin to feel it. And he's going to pull us back to that gospel anytime we move away from it. And here we see the disciples coming up with their own plans and Jesus redirects them back to the heart of the gospel. You know, one of the, the truths that we have to confront early and often in our lives is that we're not the experts. We like to think we're the experts, so we're not the experts. We barely know what's going on in our own lives. And so when it, when it comes to, to, to who Christ is, and what we need to do as we interact with the Christ and experience the Christ, is we need to recognize in all humility that He is the one with the answers. The, coming to Christ is us recognizing that we need guidance. If you need guidance and you need wisdom, it is found in the person of the Christ. This is what it means to follow Him, that we're, we're going to lay aside all of our own advice and all of our own expertise and all of our own hopes and all of our own dreams, and we say, Jesus, you are Lord. And when we say, Jesus, you are Lord, we're saying we're leaving all of that to the side, and whatever advice I have for the Christ, I'm going to keep to myself because it doesn't matter and it's probably wrong. And this is what he's telling the disciples here, we've got work to do. You follow me, I don't follow you. And in the same way, I don't follow the crowds. This ministry is not about crowd control, not about growing it or building it or, or keeping it under wraps, but we are about something else. We are about the coming of the kingdom of God, and it is found in the person of the Christ. And you see, without him, we are helplessly lost. And what we see here, early in this text, is the disciples are confused about the present situation. And maybe you're not surprised about how often we are confused by the present situation, but that happens often in our life. But Jesus is never confused by the present situation. And what we need to recognize in this text is not only is Jesus never confused, Jesus is never out of place. Wherever you find the Christ, that is exactly where he is supposed to be. And Jesus is right in line with God's will. In fact, that's one of the things that we can take away from this. If, if we want to seek out God's will, if you want to know God's will and find God's will, go find Jesus. Because Jesus is right in the middle of it. And Jesus is always going to be right in the middle of God's will. And wherever Jesus is, that's where he needs to be. 
In fact, it's a problem if you're not already there. You're the one that's supposed to be with him and following him wherever God wills. And if you have found the Christ, you have found the will of the Lord. You know, I don't know what to think about the disciples here. Maybe they were just overwhelmed. Maybe they were filled with pride. Maybe they were just overcome with ignorance that day. But I can assure you this, Jesus wasn't. Jesus wasn't any of those things. Jesus was exactly where he was supposed to be, doing exactly what he was supposed to be doing for the sake of the kingdom of God. Now, I really, I really wanted to lay into the crowds, too. Because these crowds always just seem to show up expecting Jesus to do something and to take care of whatever they want from him. You know, it's kind of like that story in Luke 17. There's a story, there's another story in Luke 17 where Jesus heals 10 lepers. So today he heals one, in Luke 17 he heals 10. And it says that the 10 lepers are healed and they go off and it says only one of them turns around and acknowledges who Jesus is and what he's done. Only one of them says thank you for healing. And this is how I picture these crowds, and this is the heart and the attitude of most of these crowds, I think, is, is they're these that, that have no sense of thanksgiving or acknowledging who Jesus is. See, the, the, the rest must have felt like Jesus owed them this healing. And, you know, that's what I suspect many of us feel. I suspect, and I see this in my own heart, too, that many of us, when we feel sick, we, we look up to the Lord and we demand healing because we feel like God owes it to us. We blame God for the problem. We blame God for the plight of the world, demanding his healing because we are due a better hand in this life. There's no need to be thankful if we feel like God owes us See, if you feel like God owes you one, then you just say, well, that's good. You got that done, God. And that's what those other nine were walking off and doing. But we need to recognize something about ourselves this morning and about our plight. God, God doesn't owe us anything. In fact, everything that we have, we have to be utterly thankful that God has allowed to, to uh, any good and every good that's a part of our lives is because of God's gracious hand. In fact, the only reason that we are still here and the, the only reason that we have any hope is because God and his grace has offered it. We, we are do nothing because of the sin that's in our heart and the sin that has overcome our lives and the temptations that we have fall, fallen into. God owes us nothing. But he has given us by his grace the gift of eternal life in his son, Jesus Christ. You see, so many of the crowds were there to just find out what was in it for them. They, they needed some kind of physical healing that they wanted, or they were just bored and wanted to see the show. What, what would Jesus do next? Th these crowds would have happily let the disciples just herd them into Barnum and Bailey's circus tent to see what wonder the magnificent Jesus might perform next. And this is exactly what Jesus Christ was trying to avoid. You know, so many people today still imagine and picture Jesus as a headlining faith healer. And this headlining faith healer might call me up on stage next time and might take care of me some other day. But we, we understand, and Scripture is clear in this, Jesus is not a faith healer. Jesus is not a miracle worker. Jesus is not a crowd gatherer. Jesus is the living Christ, the Son of God who reigns from heaven. 
You see, when Jesus was on this earth, he healed, he performed miracles. The crowds couldn't get enough of him. But that's not what he was about. That's not who he was. Jesus came as the redeemer of all mankind. He was on a journey to the cross so that you might be saved. You see, there's, there's more to this than just getting whatever you can out of the Christ while he's in the room, while he's on stage, while he's in front of the crowd. The Christ came to bring you salvation so that you'd be saved from sin and given life eternally. Amen. Jesus Christ will heal your heart this morning. See, if you're waiting for him to call you up on stage, you don't have to wait anymore. At the cross, the call went out across the globe. He's calling out the names of his children, the names of the lost, so that you might be saved. That's who our Christ is. Messiah, the Savior of the world. So Mark, Mark chapter 1 then takes an interesting turn as it concludes. We see the, the disciples, we, we see the, the crowds. It's kind of this large encompassing thing. And then Jesus is, is taken to a time with this leper. So, so the crowds are kind of suffocating Jesus' ministry and Jesus turns to this single contrarian leper. And the statement that he gives in verse 40, if you're willing, you can make me clean. This seems to be the, the opposite of the hearts of the crowds. I mean, the, the actions look the same. I mean, he's chasing Jesus down like everybody else in the crowd. And having this skin disease, he wasn't supposed to be in the crowd. He wasn't supposed to be approaching Jesus. In fact, all of the... People in the crowds and the religious experts and the legal experts would have said he shouldn't have been anywhere near the Christ. He was legally forbidden from being a part of society. Now, it, it, it sounds harsh, but it was their ancient quarantine with these kinds of skin diseases. They, there was contagions, and they, they weren't sure how they were spreading and the contagiousness of them, and they were trying to keep it away and protect everyone else. And, and what you see with, with people who are leprous, they, they, they weren't even allowed back into society after they were healed. But once, once you were healed and you no longer had the leprosy, then you had to go to the priest. And you go to stand before the priest and these offerings had to be given and, and you had to have prayers and all of these things to move you forward back into society through the priests and through the Old Testament legal system. You see all of it in Leviticus 14, 1 through 10. In fact, let me read a couple of those for you here. So Leviticus 14, what you see, verse, let me start in verse 8. The one to be cleansed shall then wash his clothes and shave off all of his hair, bathe in water and be clean, and afterwards he can enter the camp. But he shall stay outside his tent for seven days. It will be on the seventh day that he shall shave off his hair, and he shall shave off his head, and his beard, and his eyebrows, even all his hair. And he shall wash his clothes and bathe, in the body, uh, bathe his body in water and be clean. And then there's a whole lot of other things there in chapter 14 too. So this, this man had to go through the, the ritual then to be brought back into society. Now when, when this leprous man saw Jesus, he ignores all the restrictions and he runs to the Christ. Because he knows that's where he can find healing. That's where he's going to find hope. If there's anybody who can take care of him this day, it is Jesus Christ. And he falls before Jesus and he says, if you will, you will make me clean. 
And if and clean being the operative words, the if recognizing that Jesus can, if only he will. And the cleaning hinting there might be more to this man's story than just the leprosy. There may be a deeper issue than just a skin disease. And what Jesus, Jesus looks at this man's heart. He sees this man's story and he sees more than the leprosy. And, and Jesus takes him and heals him. See, he sees the faith of this man who chased him down across the wilderness so that he might be saved. And when you fall down before Jesus needing salvation, Jesus saves always. That is his work. That's what he's about is saving your heart. And, and what's most beautiful here and what's most telling for Jesus in this moment that salvation for Jesus isn't just some grand sleight of hand showmanship. It's something intimate and personal. It's a relationship between you and God. And, and what you see, Jesus reaches out and touches this man, simple, personal, affectionate, exactly what that man needed that day. Jesus wasn't supposed to touch this man. But that's exactly what Jesus did. And that's exactly what Jesus does. Jesus reaches down from heaven in the most personal of ways to share life with us and to make us whole again. You see, it doesn't matter what your background is. It doesn't matter the pain that you've experienced and the brokenness in your heart and in your life. All of it Jesus can make right. And, and what we recognize here, what we recognize for the disciples and what we recognize at the First Baptist Church of San Antonio is that when we are walking with Jesus Christ, he has a future for us that is unrecognizable to this world. And there's a great hope in that future that he has for you. And he will reach down and touch your heart and make that future perfect. You see, that's what was so uh, discombobulating to the disciples. They couldn't recognize what Jesus was doing in their lives, and, and not only in their own lives, but they couldn't even recognize what, what Jesus was doing for, to, for himself. And so when they came to, to Jesus about the crowds and everything else that was going on, Jesus corrected him. And those that heard Jesus' voice, those that kept following him, no matter what, Jesus carried them through. That, that was their faith. They, they, they weren't sure about where Jesus was taking them, but they knew wherever Jesus was taking them, it was far better than where they were going. And so they followed and see, that's what we recognize for us as we move into 2021. We, we may not recognize where Jesus is taking us, but it is far better than wherever we were going. It is far better than whatever we had planned for ourselves. If we will follow Jesus Christ into a new time and a new place, all will be well. And so let us in this place, let us across this city, let us in this time listen to the Christ and follow the Christ and chase after him like we've never chased after him before. Because he has something good and holy in store for us. Something good and holy in store for our future. And may it come quickly as we chase after the Lord. Let's pray together. Lord, we are weak, and you are strong. Lord, we fall, and you lift us up.
we are broken and you reshape us. And so, Lord, we pray this morning that our hearts would be putty in your hands. Lord, that where the hardened spots are forming, Lord, you would peel away. And Lord, we pray that you would reshape our hearts into something pure, heavenly, looking like the Christ. And Lord, we know that we need you desperately. And for all of the ways and all of the times that we have tried to move away from that call that you have placed in our lives, we pray that you'd forgive us and that we'd come running back to you as a prodigal, back into the Father's arms. It's in the name of our Lord and risen Savior, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. First Baptist Church has been broadcasting its services of new life and historic faith for 46 years. We would like to ask that you continue to pray with us for this ministry and also for your financial support so that we can continue this ministry for years to come. Thank you.